This is not the final episode of Weaponized. Sean Kirkpatrick spending a whole year investigating this topic and not finding any evidence. We know that Arrow wasn't really up and running for that first year. Some of these witnesses, he put them at risk. Dr. Kirkpatrick is lying to the American public. There are foia a bull back and forths between Kirkpatrick and David Brush that will become public. The agenda is to shape the emerging UAP narrative. Secrets, cover-ups, and strange phenomena. UFOs and ideas that challenge reality itself. All these mysteries, all this time. Are we ever going to get to the bottom of these? My name is George Knapp. I dig into news stories that others can't or won't. I'm Jeremy Corbell, and for some reason, people tell me things they probably shouldn't. And this is Weaponized. This is Weaponized. I'm George Knapp. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing? Good, man. Everything's going on right now, huh? A lot to talk about today, but before we do, there's something that's been playing in my head. It's a song by the Beatles. I know you're musically uneducated, but it's Birthday. You know that song? I do know that song. You know what? I'd like to play it, but we can't right now. But birthday, because it's your birthday. Happy birthday, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's what, what a great day to wake up alive, man. And you chose to spend your day with Michael and I recording Weaponized. I'm, I'm not sure you're all together here. Nah, man, I'm pumped. There's, there's no better way to spend my birthday than talking about UFOs with my friends. I mean, come on, man. This is the, the greatest. So uh, I think as an overview to start into this discussion today, I think it's fair to say that we have entered an, a new era, a, a troubling new era. Uh, on this program, and you know, even long before we started Weaponized, Jeremy, uh, the view here has been shared many times in many forums and on many platforms. And in a nutshell, it is this. The closer the public gets to the goods, the closer the public gets to the actual proof, the harder the pushback is going to be. Well, I think that day has arrived. I think the pushback is real, and we are seeing it in real time unfold in many different forms. But, you know, you and I have talked with other people behind the scenes. They've been seeing this for weeks, maybe since the beginning of the year, that we are now in a new era and and the gloves are off and uh, the attacks are worse and the claims and lies are more abhorrent. Um, and you feel it as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do feel I'm impervious to evil because I am ignorant to a lot of it. I, I don't sleuth social media, but yeah, people send me stuff, including yourself, and I do see it. And I think it's reached a, a new level. You know, look, um, this is a, a cyber war. This is disinformation propaganda. This is a campaign. It's organized and it's escalating. And personal attacks are, are just part of that. Some of the stuff that's happened, I mean, it is as vile. I'd say more vile than I've ever seen before. We we get this all the time. It's not a big deal, but um, man, uh, it's it's as far below the belt as you can be. And uh, and then on another level, the attempts to get both the scientific community and major media and Congress to drop this hot potato is pretty clearly an objective right now on many levels. Let me ask you this. Um, you, so out of all the decades you've been dealing with, with UFOs and you, you've been dealing with the pushback, 
I know back in the day, there was a name of somebody who was kind of like a debunker before Twitter. You, who's the guy that was like the name? Um, Philip Class. Yeah. Philip Class. Is this, is this worse, uh, the disinformation and the, the propaganda and the lies? Is it worse now than it was back when Philip Class was kind of like the go-to debunker? Uh, he was pretty bad. I mean, I, I ended up in, in the end, uh, after we battled here and there for a few years, we ended up sort of uh, mutually uh, mutually uh, respectful and would exchange information and pleasantries and uh, and it was much more cordial. But man, at his height, he was pretty pretty tough and pulled some sneaky stuff on UFO cases and UFO witnesses, underhanded. He tried to get me fired. He tried to get other people who've dug into this stuff fired from their jobs as well. But it was limited in scope. He could show up at a UFO conference and then publish his newsletter, and he wrote a, a book or so, uh, but his platforms were limited. The, his reach was limited. Now, uh, with all the tools available for a, a global reach, the guys who are doing the same job have a much greater opportunity to reach a broader audience, and that's what they're doing right now on so many levels. I mean, I just saw you did a new three-part series for the news on UFO crash retrievals, but I, I know that's not a past thing. Like I know within the last few years, people have been calling your station, trying to get you fired again. Does that have any traction at your station? Not a chance. Not a chance in the world. Uh, they've been through these battles with me before. As long as I'm doing my job and they get to see the scripts and and approve the projects in advance. Um, they're fine with me. They, I have their, I have their support. So it's not getting anywhere in that sense. But it wears down on people around me. You know, people close to us, and uh, we're not going to get specifics on that because we don't want to give it any more air to breathe than than needed. But uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry to hear that, and I think that's the the goal. You know, the goal is to disrupt and to throw you off track. And these are very specific things we're talking about. This isn't like an ethereal thing. I mean, people were calling your work, trying to get you fired. And so that's not just Philip Class era. That, that's a new thing. And when, when they can't get dirt on us and they can't get a reaction from us, they, they go after people that we love and that kind of thing. Hey, look, I've seen it. You know, my, my wife's like, uh, it's weird that it took them so long to do that. But look, um, again, I don't read that. So I'm impervious to it. And it means nothing to me. I, I have no rear view mirrors for that. But when we see that kind of thing, man, when people are trying to do things like get you fired and it's having zero effect, you just see like the, the level of the attacks coming more and more and more. And it makes you wonder what's so important about UFOs that there would be an organized attempt. And we know it's organized very simply because, okay, so private investigator told you something in Las Vegas. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know if you should say that, but there's people that are that have money that are looking to get dirt on you and on me, and they're they're calling people you know in law enforcement in Vegas. Right? Can we? Yeah, should so, we? This is a while back. Is that you know whoever has dough enough to finance this operation came to Las Vegas and tried to hire private investigators to dig up stuff <laughs> on me and and probably on you. And on Lazar and other people in the field, but the, to do the groundwork here to see what they could find. They had enough money to do that, 
Unfortunately, they went to some people who uh, I knew and uh, who let me know what was going on. But it's, you know, it's it's um, it's troubling. And but look, this is not about you and me. Uh, We're used to this kind of stuff. There's a broader campaign, a bigger campaign that has reared its ugly head in multiple ways in very public uh, platforms that we want to talk about today. And I think, um, you know, the jellyfish. So we released this jellyfish image a couple of weeks ago. We wanted to share it with the world and we wanted the world to debate about it. We wanted ideas from people on what it might be. Not bird poop, not a smudge on the lens. It's something else. It's something real that was unique. And we don't have the full video. I'm not even sure we should have told people that the rest of that uh, video even existed because now there, you know, there are all kinds of conspiracies about that. But it does exist. It is real. It will come out. We wanted to alert Congress, the inspector general, that it's real to go after it. And we wanted the public to get a look at it. And millions and millions of people around the world have now seen it. They're debating what it might be. There are all kinds of alternatives that are discussed. That's what we wanted, and that's what's underway right now. But as a result of the leaking this supposedly bird poop image, there's an actual investigation, again, into us and how this process proceeded, right? Yeah, well, into sources. So let me, let me, let me touch upon that in, in the right way, which is that you and I fully uh, appreciate and support the idea that if people leak classified information or videos from a classified server, that that is illegal. I, I, I get that. But as journalists, we're protected First Amendment, freedom of press, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of press. So we have a little bit extra protection. We make sure that nothing hurts national security because both of us live here in America and, and we believe in that. There is an active investigation by multiple agencies. Um, publicly, I think the DOD has admitted as much. There was some weird statement they put out. But, but, but ultimately, I understand and support the idea that counterintelligence people in the IC, they need to look at leaks. I get that. They're getting nothing from us. We don't even know sometimes who, and we do that by design, like who leaks stuff to us. However, I do support the idea because if somebody leaks one thing, they could leak something else and they could try to like sell that. But, 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 but the deal is this, I support that there is an investigation, but I am not participating. As a journalist, don't need to. We are protected from that. How many times have they tried to get your, your texts and your emails in court and every single time they've not been able to get it because you are a journalist and that is our job? Well, that's true. I've been to court a few times. And uh, again, my employer, KLAS, has backed it up. Uh, and the same was true when I was a print journalist uh, writing a column. Um, people went after sources of information and things, and they got rebuffed. The law exists. The shield law in Nevada is one of the strongest in the country. The First Amendment, it really does mean something. There's a reason it's first in the Bill of Rights. And, uh, and so there will always be attempts to get around that. But we protect our sources. Uh, it's our first priority in these kind of sensitive cases, and we'll continue to do so. We understand why they would go after the source of the leaks, try to figure out if this is uh, dangerous for our country, if someone's done something illegal, we understand it, but it is also disconcerting at the same time. 
Now, you're not on social media all that often, Jeremy, so are you not following sort of the discussion of the jellyfish? Uh, Not so much, but people send me the information. I mean, you and I are just running forward, no rear view mirrors when it comes to the kind of that's a but. There's somebody that stuck out, and I think you sent this to me. Um, It's a female named Christina Gomez, and she's been really great, man. Tell me a little bit about what you saw on social media about the attacks on her for just asking questions. I respect her. She found an image of a drone. I have to say, the first time I saw it, I thought, well, that looks a heck of a lot like the jellyfish. It's it's not the same as what the image that we showed for a variety of reasons, but it looks close enough that I can see why she'd post it and start a discussion. That is what we hoped would happen, that people would kick it around and debate about it in a civil way. What happened to Christina, I guess, is not very civil. She was just pummeled left and right with some nasty stuff. She's a nice young lady. She doesn't deserve that. She just posited an idea and and explained why she thought it might fit. Uh, and people are welcome to tell her why it doesn't fit and to respond to it. But there's no need to get nasty about it. I mean, she was doing her job and and doing what we hoped people would do. Yeah, that's that's sad to me that I didn't see that she was attacked for that. But I so Christina Gomez, I support you like I support what you're doing. I've seen you in the UFO field. You've always been uh, honest and direct from what I can tell. So I you know, keep asking the questions and, and don't let that shit get to you. I think the video that you sent me was about a, a, a thrust vectoring machine. Um, the, you know, so so it's not that. So the jellyfish thing is not that because when you have thrust vectoring, you're always going to have a propulsion signature. You're going to have a heat signature or any thrust signature. The video you showed me was out in the cold and you can already see a little bit of plumes of heat just with a normal camera. So it's not that because the jellyfish UAP doesn't have that signature, but just asking the question, just putting that out, that was the point of putting it out so people could look into it and people should thank someone like Christina for asking those questions, just putting it out. So that that's real sad to me that she got a lot of heat. I didn't know that. I, I also love, I've seen uh, some really interesting artwork. Some of it may be AI produced and others uh, drawing things by hand or what they think that the jellyfish might look like if we had a better view of it. Very creative stuff. It's fun to see this stuff. I hope people will continue to put it out there. And I hope they'll send some of these things to us too. For sure. I mean, we we do have a lot of that stuff. I mean, thousands of emails. So I'm so sorry to people that send emails to me and George. So we've got a, cu- a couple of catch-alls and, you know, going through them, we might have to finish the episode one and then really dive in. But, you know, I, once in a while, I'll catch one, talk with someone, but we've got so many leads and that's so cool. And I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, man, so th- this idea that we're kind of in retrograde here, this idea that it's not okay to ask questions, that was the whole point of getting this stuff out, that we ask questions. Now, of course, George, we probably have a lot more to tell about the jellyfish UAP and people who will come forward on camera with us. But I think that that's um, you know, coming up in the future, and that's the best we can do. Jeremy, you and I were in Huntsville, Alabama at the SCU conference, when the word started filtering out among the, the crowd there that Sean Kirkpatrick was the choice for the Arrow job. And we were surrounded by these intelligence officials, former military DOD types, a lot of folks who know that world and were familiar with him from Huntsville, from that world. And the reaction was pretty much universal. Ooh. I mean, they, they thought that picking him for that job sort of had to put the handwriting on the wall in big bloody letters 
about how Arrow would be managed and what its true job was. And it took a while for his true colors to come out. But those early predictions of doom and gloom for Arrow have proved to be prescient and accurate. Uh, you know, it was pretty clear all along the way that what his job was is for, to stamp out in, in interest in this topic to actually thwart investigations, not support investigations. And that's how it worked out. He goes on this media rampage in the last couple of weeks, uh, making himself available, a former intelligence guy in a very strange role of speaking out. I think the one forum where he gave an interview was an event that was basically sponsored by defense interests, including two of the corporate names that have been mentioned in association with reverse engineering programs and UFO secrets, Lockheed and Northrop, sponsoring this event. Uh, interesting choice of venues for Mr. Kirkpatrick to tee off on his own organization. He brags about spending a whole year investigating this topic and not finding any evidence. Wow, a whole year. Holy cow, what sacrifices he must have made during a whole year to try to get to the bottom of this gigantic mystery. And of course, we know that Arrow wasn't really up and running for that first year, and um, we know a lot more as well. How many of these articles, based on what Kirkpatrick said, have you read, and what what's your take on it? Look, man, uh, from zero to Jeremy, what's my freedom to speak here, George? Go for it. Yeah, be myself, you always say, right? Cool. It's your birthday. Thank you. Total fucking horseshit. And Kirkpatrick is a piece of dog shit. So check this out. There's an information war. This is disinformation. This is a disinformation tour. And the public should know. And we're going to highlight it. He wrote an article in Scientific American. It was an opinion piece, right? There was literally nothing scientific about it nor was it American. Because to be an American, you represent the people you're supposed to represent. This was the most ridiculous opinion piece that I have ever seen. So I read it. It was disgusting. I'll read you something from it. But also, he's a liar. Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick is a liar. And he's lying to the American public. And I'll highlight one of the things that he lied about. You told me, and this was so interesting, you said, Nobody's ever going to trust Arrow again. So before I go on, what did you mean from that? I mean, he stuck a shiv right in the ribs of his own organization. Uh, he's, he basically lied about things that are easily disproven, in particular about whistleblowers. So we know these guys, some of them at, le at least. We know how sensitive this is, how worried they are, how frightened about coming forward with the information, some of whom have already shared it with Congress and with the ICIG, they're they're scared about what the future holds. So there was always a little reluctance to trust Arrow. They didn't know where the heart of that organization was. Well, now we know that they were right to be concerned because there were some of these folks that went to Arrow. There are people who shared information with Sean Kirkpatrick. He's saying it didn't happen. There's no good information at all. There's not nothing of value from whistleblowers. And that's simply not true. But what it means is, going forward, now that he's still listed as a consultant to Arrow and has basically cut the gonads off of the credibility of his own organization, what whistleblower is ever going to come forward and trust them again? 
No one in their right mind would do that to see how their information would be treated, even though they're putting their careers, maybe their lives at risk by sharing that information with that organization. It's dead. That organization is dead. There is no way it can ever be trusted again as long as it stays within the purview of the Department of Defense. Not a chance. All right. Well, I was really hopeful. And despite me being hopeful and you telling me how it's probably going to play out, this is another Project Blue Book, I was hopeful. Now, look, I am still hopeful. There's a new interim director of Arrow who we hear is a solid human and he understands there's a UFO problem. And there are people within Arrow who are really good people that want to get to the truth. And I, I would like to have open comms with those people because here's the deal. We did, on good faith, send people to Arrow, people that have confided in us, and we know how they were treated. We also know what they told Dr. Kirkpatrick. So let's get into the lies. You know, he put them at risk at their jobs. The jobs they're at now, some of these witnesses, he put them at risk. And we can get into that more later, but that is unconscionable. Additionally, to go after David Grush, and, and let me just read you what he wrote so I can really nail this home, that he's a liar. This is not just a disinformation war. He's a liar. So in his article, where Kirkpatrick said in the Scientific American, which was neither scientific nor American, here's a quote. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you where he put where he puts quotes. As of the time of my departure, none, let me repeat, none of the conspiracy-minded, in quote, whistleblowers in the public eye had elected to come to Arrow to provide their, quote, evidence and statement for the record, despite numerous invitations. So let's just take David Grush. Is that true? It's not true. That's a lie. So there are FOIA abul, uh, back and forths between Kirkpatrick and David Grush that will become public. I have seen them. And, and, and so what he did was he, he made this statement that is disingenuous and it is a lie. Now, absolutely, he wanted, after David Grush gave him so many opportunities, and we're talking locations of physical hardware, of UFO NHI hardware, program names, classified program names, so locations, names, employees, firsthand witnesses, all of this, people did testify to him. So the fact that he is saying this, it's like a debunker. You omit information. And if you ask anybody who has a wife or a girlfriend, you omit information, that's still a lie. So that's what he's done. So to be clear, we put people forward to Arrow in good faith. We know what was said. We know what information he had. So this is a lie. His statement is a lie. And I think that's really important. And, and people are going to see. Now, why is this important? This is important because in UFO Twitter and the worlds that we live in, it's like, okay, I get it. Not everybody hears this stuff. They don't even know who Dr. Kirkpatrick is. I get that. They don't, might not even know who David Grush is. I get that. But when you put a piece out in Scientific American, it's read by a lot of people who have no insight. They take it on face value. So we are going to retaliate. We are going to push back and expose those lies with the receipts, as the kids say. We're going to make sure that shit is foiled, and then the receipts will be there. Dr. Kirkpatrick is lying to the American public. His motivations to do so, I don't know. Don't know him. 
know who he has beers with though. And everybody's told me he's a suit. He's just a company man. Well, guess what, Arrow? If you really want to make a difference, well, I'm glad you got new kind of ownership now. You got somebody else ahead of it. Let's see. Let's see if we can push them to be honest to the American public. I don't know if I was forceful enough, George, but that's how I feel. That's pretty good. I mean, you know, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but it seems to me, big picture, that there's a couple of goals of this uh, Kirkpatrick disinformation media tour he's been on. One is to give mainstream media an excuse to not dig into this anymore. They've already ignored it for 70 plus years for the most part. You had the New York Times story by Ralph and Leslie and Helene in 2017 that really kicked things into gear. And it was uncharacteristic for the New York Times to give that kind of a platform to the UFO topic, but they did. And other mainstream media followed for a while. Now they've sort of all slunk back into the corner, into the same position that most of them have always had. They don't want to deal with this. They don't, they don't want to cover it. They don't want to spend the resources to actually get to know the topic and the witnesses. They don't do any of that stuff. So Kirkpatrick saying there's nothing to see here, folks, move along, is exactly what mainstream media wants and needs uh, because they don't want to deal with it anyway. Secondly, it, it seems to be targeting Congress. I mean, you know, the interest level of Congress in the UFO subject is a series of peaks and valleys in history. There are periods where it gets really high, like now, and then after a while it goes away. The media coverage that happened after that New York Times uh, article gave Congress some political cover. Hey, there's really a genuine mystery here. There's a legitimate national security issue at stake. We should look into this, which they've been doing since early 2018, behind closed doors, hearing from witnesses, hearing from credible people like David Fravor, for example, and other witnesses, whistleblowers, and they took it seriously because they're credible people. These are people that we have entrusted that uh, the, the safety of our families, the security of our country, we give them our most sophisticated weapons systems, we trust them with sensors to protect our lives, and yet when they have this kind of information, based on their training and experience, we're not supposed to believe them? Well, Congress did believe them. And it's not something you and I cooked up. That was underway long before we came on the scene. So, you know, I think that the, that is what Kirkpatrick is trying to do. Chase the media away, give them a, a reason not to cover it, and chase Congress away and let them know they're going to look silly if they pursue this. Our friend and colleague, Chris Sharp, Liberation Times. As usual, he's on top of this. He sees sort of the same big picture that we do, the connecting of the dots. You know, Sean Kirkpatrick going on this tour, other articles strategically placed here and there, unleashing vile attacks uh, on social media, all this relentless stuff going on to convince Congress and media that the whole thing has been made up by people like you and me and some of our colleagues, and we fooled everybody with lack of information. That just is not the way it is. So Chris writes this in Liberation Times. Dr. Kirkpatrick, who represents the executive branch as an unpaid consultant, attacked the critical thinking skills of congressional members, discouraged them from investigating UAP, and claimed investigations informed by whistleblowers were based on a, quote, whirlwind of tall tales, fabrication, 
and second-hand or third-hand retellings of the same. Chris says, no whistleblower in their right mind will now approach Arrow, especially with Dr. Kirkpatrick still associated with the office. That means one part of the mission is investigating serious allegations regarding UAP is now dead. Following This is following the UAP Disclosure Act pasture. The uh, vultures were circling and looking to put the genie back in the bottle. The mainstream media is a pale shadow of its former self. Instead of investigating whistleblowers and investigating their claims, the media, in the instance of UAP, have turned into DOD and intelligence community propaganda machines. The less awkward the questions, the better. I think Chris nailed it on the head. Yeah, Chris is, his name is Chris Sharp. He is sharp as a dagger. I mean, that's why we talk with him about this stuff all the time. He really sees it as it is. I mean, the king's got no clothes. I mean, I really appreciate Chris Sharp's opinion. Not all opinions are created equal. This is a guy people should listen to. He's very balanced. He looks at it and he finds the the, the core of things like a samurai just right in there. So, so look, um, the Liberation Times, what Chris Sharp has done, and he was in the, the the Tubi special. You got to see him. You know, he's a such a thoughtful guy, and and I'm really glad that he's he's fighting for the truth on this. I, I want to give you another example of where you've got a parachute journalist. I think that's what you call him, somebody who's done zero research, and they just want to do some sort of like Hunter Thompson style writing. And look, he's a good writer, but it's kind of reminds me of Stephen Roderick with the Rolling Stone article where he used me as some vehicle as a jester. I theatrically opened my fridge. Anybody see me open a fridge before? It ain't theatrical. It's because I'm hungry. There was an article. New York Magazine came out. It actually named you and me, George. And I wanted to think about this for a second. Is it a good article? So it's a guy named Nicholson Baker. And it, it really did remind me of these parachute journalists he said something in there. I kind of wanted to get your reaction. He, he does this whole kind of laughing factory about the UFO thing. He got some things right, but other things were just blatantly wrong and, and, and pretty stupid. So, you know, he called me a big bearded paranormalist. Okay. He got the big beard part, right? Then he said, but he did say about you, George, he said, you got a fine swoop of gray hair. I would argue that it's silver. But, you know, okay, you got a big swoop gray hair. Great. I can't uh, argue with that. I mean, it's accurate so far. Uh, so far. So a little bit of flattery. And then he's like, here's the sentence that made me laugh so fucking hard. The guy says, both of them are in the flying saucer promotion business. Well, if that were the case, I'd like the saucer overlords to give us a little bit of payment for all the promotion we're doing for them. What we're doing is we are investigating something that is extraordinary and we're doing extraordinary investigation to find out. So it's just so funny when they show their cards and that's what I've seen a lot. I've seen people show their cards. It's like they're desperate. It's like the debunkers are desperate. Like with the jellyfish, how they fabricated that holiday, that Muslim holiday that goes with the moon, right? And they're like, oh yeah, there's a holiday. So there's a bunch of balloons out Everybody knows the jellyfish was filmed in October. And I think um, with the moon cycle next to the city of Fallujah, which is the close to where the jellyfish was filmed, that would be um, June 25th was that night of that holiday. So we're talking about June and the jellyfish UAP is in October. So already they're kind of lying to people. And then that fabrication of the balloons. And I even saw that idiot. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm unhinged. But I even saw that idiot that works for MUFON. That's some sort of visual um, intelligence guy. 
And he's saying, oh, yeah, it's balloons. And look at this image. Does the guy not know that that was first put up on a website by debunkers and they created that image in Photoshop and there's no images in English, by the way, because the letters were in English of the holiday? It's so ridiculous to me. But when you get things like Scientific American, and it, the article is not Scientific nor American, and they, they propagate this BS, right? And then they link to trash articles. They link to trash, right? People aren't paying attention, but that's seen by a lot of people. So the only way that we combat that disinformation is to put out the real information. And so I think that's what we're going to do is outpace, outmaneuver, and outperform all of these disinfo idiots. That's excellently said. Uh, you know, one last comment on the Scientific American, which has published this Kirkpatrick fusillade. Uh, the idea that that publication uh, would post a link using as a source the New York Post is absolutely hilarious. I mean, I guess they picked the Post because the Weekly World News went out of business, but um, oh my gosh. Uh, what has happened to the Scientific American? If that that's cited as their source of support uh, for this op-ed piece, goodness grief. Look, man, I'm not going to hold back words or kind of mince them today. Just don't feel like it. It's my birthday. So look, everybody's got to be on guard for the garbage. And what I'm seeing, you know, from people texting me or sending me little links is that people ain't buying it. We're not buying it. We're not following the bullshit. We're not going to be like, oh, yeah, sure, just because it's in Scientific American. We all know mainstream media is manipulated by shit. So here we go, man. Let's have the real fight here for information and for truth on this. You know, I've seen some of this gossip going around. Like the funny one to me was our buddy Representative Burchett, right? Um, he said on something that, you know, some people get disinformation, but they're not even aware of that. And some idiots like, oh, yeah, no, that's Jeremy Corbell. Okay, cool, man. So I'm like texting with Burchett and we're laughing together. We're laughing because, you know, we have talked about this a bunch, like who's getting fake, false information and doesn't know it. I mean, look, this is part of the game. I, I don't need to defend myself. I'll let Burchett say something if he wants to, but it's not you and me getting that stuff. And so it's just so funny to see people freaking out. But, you know, look, a lot of people have come kind of intellectually, they, they've come to the defense of truth. And I, I've really, really liked that. There's a dude named Lester online, and I think he lives in LA. I'd love to meet the guy sometime. He's such a deep thinker. He's going through this whole thing about when people are like grifting on UFOs and how much they're making. And, sure. it, yeah. it, you know, he was pretty, it was like a really cool thing. He's not like taking a side, but he's like, look, look at this ridiculousness and let me illuminate it. So that was a guy on Twitter I thought was like really kind of smart the way that he approached stuff. I liked it. And I, I know Representative Burchett, you know, he will clarify if it suits him to do so. I'm not worried about that. I think it's cool. But I also saw something, George, maybe you can shine a light on because I have not followed this. But a guy I know, he seems like a really cool guy, um, Rob Heatherly on, on, on X. Yeah, right. And, and there's something about Twitter. What was that? Or on Wikipedia. What, what right. was that about? I'm going to jump into that in a second. Just one last comment about Tim Burchett and you being the source of disinfo that he's referencing. I, I guess that's probably why he asked us to help set up that hearing, why he recognized us from the, the podium, from the platform during the hearing by name, and then allowed us to enter statements into the record. And he gave us those seats right up front behind Grush and, and, and Dave. Um, 
because he wanted to keep an eye on you to make sure you weren't spreading disinformation right there. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't want this whole episode to be us like pissed at people, but it's so funny to me. You know, it, anyway, look, man, um, there is a serious nature to what we're dealing with. And there, there's this subterfuge and it's like the little things don't matter until they do. And you were telling me something about this guy, Rob, and about X and what was going on with Wikipedia. And I, I only paid attention because for so long, Bob Lazar's Wikipedia page said, Bob Lazar conspiracy theorist. And I thought, well, he's Bob Lazar and he owns United Nuclear. So I, I've tried to change that a couple of times. Like, hey, just tell it as it is. If you know Bob, he's not a conspiracy theorist. He's like the opposite of that. So when you told me about Wikipedia, what, what did you mean about that? What was going on? You know, I, I, I use it once in a while. I'll go on there to look up, just to get some background info on something I, I, I might be investigating or somebody I'm about to interview. You take it all with a grain of salt because I know my own page. Now, I haven't looked at it in a number of years. The last time I was on there, there was something posted about some girlfriend I, I once had in high school. And I was thinking to myself, how the hell does that get on my Wikipedia page? I had no idea really how it worked, but I didn't care. And, and I don't think I've been back since. But there's a, a lady I know, I met her once. And she says, hey, I've seen your, she sends me an email, says, I've seen your Wikipedia page. There's a lot of stuff on there that's really kind of uh, not only inaccurate, but it's slanted. And I'm going to take a shot at making some editorial changes, updating some of the information and, and clarifying others. And she, so she's tried to make some edits. I haven't even seen what they are, but I know she tried. And then she makes those edits. And a day later, it all goes back to the way it was. And she said this happened a couple of times. She tried to change it again and gets a message back. You're banned. You're banned from changing anything on Wikipedia. You're not allowed to do this anymore. And they gave her some bogus reasons why. And then so it's, I wasn't really paying attention to it, really, until this guy, Rob Heatherly, on X, Twitter, um, starts posting research that he had done that unveiled the existence. And this, this sounds like it's right out of Conspiracy 101, but it's true. <laughs> documents the existence of this group calling themselves the Guerrilla Skeptics of Wikipedia. I mean, I imagine they all have little get-togethers where they wear Star Wars uniforms and fight with plastic lightsabers or something, but they're the Guerrilla Skeptics of Wikipedia. More than 100 of these debunkers who have seized control of the pages that deal with UFOs and people prominent in this topic. Lou Elizondo, you, me, Ross Coltart, many others. None of the, the people who are interest, might be interested in the content of those pages in correcting absolute falsehoods have the ability, because these folks, the guerrilla skeptics, absolutely control that content and won't allow anyone else to have input. And it seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous that Wikipedia would allow this to happen, but they have. Rob Heatherly on X will show his, his contact info. If you want to know how this thing was uh, uncovered and how deep it runs, you got to follow Rob because he's done some really great work. And there's some other folks on, on X who've contributed to it. Uh, Hal Putoff, Dr. Hal Putoff is a physicist. He's worked for CIA. He worked as part of the OSAP. He was a consultant to ATIP. He's been around the UFO topic for 45, 50 years. He's a smart guy, a brilliant man, and someday might win the Nobel Prize for zero-point energy. But 
he's a, he's a great guy and a great scientist, and he thinks on a broad scale, he couldn't make even a tiny little correction to some slanted word that was on his own page. He was rejected. Lou Elizondo wanted to fix at least tiny little things, like they had him being born in Florida. He wasn't. He was born in a different state, rejected. He can't fix even that. So there's a lot of scrutiny being uh, given to this group. The head of the guerrilla skeptics is, you think, some big highfalutin scientist, somebody with multiple degrees who's trained in all of science and is a true skeptic. It's a lady who worked as a photographer for 30 years for a J.C. Penney's. And it's not like uh, she's the ultimate authority, but they've set themselves up as that. When I said at the beginning of this program that this battle is now unfolding on multiple platforms, even Wikipedia, can you imagine the shitstorm that would break out of ufologists, pro-UFO types, seized control of Wikipedia and would not allow anybody to enter anything that wasn't acceptable to them? It would be outrageous. Um, so the fact that this has happened at all, the fact that there is nothing anyone can do about it is troubling. And true skepticism would be, let's tell me, prove it to me. Let's see both sides. If you got some other evidence or argument, let's see it. They don't allow that. It's not allowed. Also, I see here, you know, Merrick uh, VR, Merrick VR, or Mer so M-V-O-N-R-E-N, Merrick. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's like a journalist uh, and he's done some great work. He's analyzed Gimbal and all that stuff, and he's smashed the debunkers. I mean, this guy has smashed the debunkers, and they will not engage with him, like about the Gimbal video. I've seen some of his work. It's excellent. I mean, it is sober, clear, scientific work, and then he's a, he's a journalist, so he puts it out there, too. I mean, this guy is somebody that people should listen to when it comes to the UFO thing. I see people block him all the time because they don't want to deal with the facts. They want to admit those facts. So yeah, what was you? You're, you know Merrick. Then uh, I don't. I've never met him. Not, yeah, never talked to him. But wow, he does some great stuff. He writes for the Hill, uh, and he does some great stuff. He wrote a piece about Kirkpatrick that really gets down to the nitty gritty. If people have not read that yet, they should check it out. We could maybe post a link here on the on the edited version of Weaponize, but people should take a look at that. Okay, so th this is a disinformation campaign that seems to float between the UFO community itself doing stuff and potential involvement by more sophisticated elements, just trying to sway the information. And I have said this probably 50 times, and you are aware of this. Look, the agenda is to shape the emerging UAP narrative. We should put that in quotes and on the screen. I've seen that in black and white. That comes from agencies. So let's get back to UFOs. Let's get back to the big deal here. Obviously, you're right. As you get closer to any kind of movement in this, you get pushback. You've been saying that from day one, and I'm starting to really understand it. The attacks, the, the subterfuge, the disinformation. But this is our 49th episode of Weaponized. So high five on that. I'm not even, I'm not even 49, but check it out. 49th episode. Now, we're going to at least do 50. So this is not the final episode of Weaponized. With that said, I want to bring us back for a second because a lot of this we saw. We saw with a guy named Bob Lazar where the world, the UFO community, agencies, they all just try to shut him up from telling his story. 
which is weird because if it ain't true, then why are you trying to shut them up? And I put something out from my movie, which was uh, an extended version of something called Anatomy of a Flying Saucer. And it, it talks about the propulsion system and what how Lazar described the propulsion system, which is really what got me interested in this. What got me interested is hearing you interview him about how the saucer flew. And I thought we could play a little clip of, of how he's describing the propulsion of the flying saucer that he says he worked on. And the reason I wanna play it is because I think this is gonna play a big role in the months to come. In 2024, I think this is gonna play a big role. And because of your history with Lazar and everything, let's watch Bob Lazar talk a little bit about the anatomy of a flying saucer, and then let's comment on that for a second. So let's play that. This week we've heard the contention of UFO researchers that there is a secret government within our government. Exactly what's going on up there? Well, there's several, uh, actually nine uh, flying saucers, flying discs, uh, that are out there of extraterrestrial origin. They're being test flown and uh, basically just analyzed. What was your function working on this? You were doing what? What was your job? We were to reverse engineer the power and propulsion system of this craft and see if it can be duplicated with available materials. I just want to go over with you what it is that you saw to draw it out for people, to make a sketch. As you're seeing it, as if you're there at that moment, kind of go back in the past. It takes different views to show you different places. I'll draw you what the craft essentially looked like. I haven't done this in a really long time. I mean, it had the classic, most of it the classic shape. However, that didn't come out that bad this time. Basically, that's the shape of the craft. That's the thing I termed the sport model. Underneath this floor, there are three, three large centrical devices hanging from the floor. These are on mounts that allow them to completely swivel up to 180 degrees and in 360 degree rotation. Directly above each one is a small rectangular object. This is on the floor above. And these are the gravity amplifiers themselves. Looking down from the top, you'd have the center. In the very center, there is a small reactor. Surrounding this in three equally spaced areas are the amplifiers. So this is looking at it sideways. This is looking at it down from the top. And under these amplifiers, underneath, on the floor below, are the gravity emitters. So it's the reactor here powering the gravity amplifiers. Gravity amplifiers output goes into the gravity emitters at the bottom and the resulting gravity beam or anti-gravity wave can be 
pretty much put anywhere you want to. Um, there was another level up here. Now I had access and was permitted to view and look at the operation of this main level with the gravity amplifiers and the level below uh, the gravity emitters. There is a level above which consisted of these two areas that I'm not all that familiar with. I assume these to be some sort of navigational engine. Uh, people call these large black rectangular areas on the top portholes. I believe they were some planar sensor array that just took in information from the surrounding area, whether it be patterns of stars or what have you. Uh, and there was their version of a computer or something to make determinations here that takes input from those sensors and then let the craft know how to orient itself and where it was in space. So that's what I assumed to be up there. I don't know for a fact. Again, that was not part of my job and I was only led to believe that. The center antenna is really an extension of the reactor in the center. And that's a waveguide, which allows the, uh, the emission of the gravity wave, which forms kind of a heart shape over the whole, the whole craft. That's how it creates its distortion. These uh, gravity emitters can be swung all the way up to 180 degrees. And this allows the craft to essentially stand on two of them and hover while this one swings up and creates a distortion in front of it, allowing the craft to slide forward. So that's how their low power mode, uh, Omicron configuration operate. The Delta configuration uses all three. And unlike science fiction movies where you see flying saucers just flying along like that, they actually fly belly first. The craft flies along, leaves the atmosphere of the planet, it turns its belly to the destination. The three amplifiers focus in on the destination, and that's how it proceeds. So that's basically the operation of it and overall how things were laid out inside the craft. There were three seats in here, and uh, just around the, uh, uh, the reactor. There were no controls, no buttons, no anything. Everything has a nice smooth curve to it. There are no right angles anywhere. Everything is exactly the same color. And uh, whether it's metal or some other advanced material, I don't know, again, that was part of the metallurgy division. And uh, all I can say is it felt cold like metal, um, but it's actual composition. Who knows if it was ceramic or, you know, again, some advanced alloy or something along those lines. But uh, the manufacturing technique is, unknown and certainly was back then. Um, today, 30 years later, there are things like 3D printing and now that kind of begins to make sense because it looks like this craft was just built from the ground up like a 3D printer. And that would be about the only way to produce some of the things we saw because there were no fasteners anywhere. It was just all together, not even a seam. So, um, I don't know. How that was actually assembled is a good question, but I bet it was something along those lines, some gigantic printing mechanism or something we would consider a printing mechanism that actually put this together. 
when you were allowed to go into the middle and look down into the bottom layer of this craft, what did it feel like to step in? Like, was it instantaneously obvious to you that we could not make this upon walking in the craft? Yeah, it was really, and pardon the pun, it was really unworldly. Everything, <laughs> again, was alien. It really was. In that uh, Again, nothing is always completely monochrome in things people build. There is always seams. There's always something other than a radius of curvature. There's a sharp edge. There's some kind of control. Everything was different. There wasn't even wires in this thing as we started to dismantle it. But um, it was more of an ominous feeling because we really didn't know what we were getting into how dangerous it was, and certainly didn't know how dangerous it was to remove anything or change it. Look, I mean, we have energy sources this day and age. You can't just remove caps, you know, off of reactors and have a peek inside and see what's going on. And we really didn't understand the energy source. We had no idea what, you know, a housing might be holding back. So, it was fearsome technology, as I've said before. And, uh, you know, so was it exciting going inside? Not exciting in that way. It was exciting because we were afraid. Uh, and really just looked around inside. The reason for going in was to have a look. There was a little access port here where you could push it open and stick the top half of your body in, hang upside down and look and see the orientation and how the gravity emitters were hanging from the, you know, the floor above. What was your first indication that it was not human? It was not ours. It was not made for us. Well, certainly the size. I mean, this was only about a little over 50 feet in diameter. The only time you could ever stand up would be the middle. So nobody would make something like this. It was extremely uncomfortable to move around in. The seats were not for full-size humans. Everything looked like it was child size. And the access port I couldn't dream of getting through. So there was certainly something smaller operating this. The opening port was like a, 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 hexagon, a hexagon honeycomb with an edge cut out. And if you grab the edge and just pushed a little bit, the honeycombs would all collapse, some sort of flexible metal and all snap open. And I remember seeing, or saying to myself, that's, that's something we could make today. That, that's really, because it has a lot of strength standing on it, but no strength the other way. So you can pop it open, use it as an access port, snap it closed, and it would support weight on it. Uh, something very simple, not that it really stood out. I was standing in an ocean of alien technology, but I think the reason it stood out was there's something I understand, you know, and nothing. I, I don't understand anything else. So I kind of grabbed onto that. It's like, I, I see what you did, guys. Here, not anywhere else. Um, so the other fascinating thing was um, it was essentially a pipe. I mean, if you want to just give you analogies, these gravity emitters look like 55-gallon drums and a big, oh, I'd say four inch diameter pipe, oh, maybe 10 inches long, can, maybe a little longer, connected the top of the drum to the floor above. It's a solid thick pipe. Somehow, 
they were able to manipulate the structure of that pipe where it would just bend as if it was made of clay. So they can apply some form of control to it and have a solid piece of pipe move like a tentacle so they can get very fine movements and adjust and point these things wherever they were and then stop stimulating the stuff and they were locked in place like it was welded on there with a giant pipe. How do you know that they could bend these pipes that way? We did, we had one of these setups in the lab. When you had made adjustments, it would move, it would bend? Yes. That is putting out a gravity wave. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, when we bench tested this setup, yeah, it worked. You know, you've got these seats, no seat belts, and then it goes belly facing where it's supposed to go. How did the occupants you know, not fall out of the seats? What's that about? Well, you're thinking about flying around a single source of gravity below you, and then as you move around, you'll flop, but you're canceling out gravity from every, anywhere else. You're canceling out gravity, inertia, and all other effects, and the only gravity there's going to be is the center is probably going to be the reactor itself. So you're always just pulled and held to the floor here. That's always the ground. So, so no matter how you're oriented, this is always where your pull is. So you'd never even know that you're upside down, you know, in relation to the earth or other things. It creates this field around you, almost heart-shaped, and then that kind of is a cocoon of what we'd call gravity, and it holds you so you can just be inside of that field, and then wherever you end up focusing, that's where you're gonna to fall to. Right. That's the propulsion, okay. Now, of course, we never, at least I never had information of us flying the craft at that performance level but it's assumed that's how it works from the information we we cleaned but you saw this craft oh i saw this craft and these work and you can certainly extrapolate if three of them together worked like this first one we know how it how it operated so there's you know extremely high confidence in that and the craft that you're drawing here is the one that you guys would take parts out of and work on yes is it also the one that you saw the test of? Yes. So they were able to take parts out and put them back in. That's no, 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 no. They did not. This flew on two amplifiers. This was already removed. I mean, I should put a dotted line around here. This was on the bench in our room. When I went in there, this was already out. And it still worked. I, I can't imagine how they made the decision to remove that. I'm really glad I wasn't there. At some point you were inside and it was activated and something happened to the inside of the wall. I guess that is an important part. The other, to explain that, around the wall, it was essentially a, a, a set of archways which were extruded from the wall all around. And we later found these out to be, I guess this is a big thing I should touch on. Uh, we found these to be waveguides. And this is how the gravity field was being manipulated. It almost looked like it was just a design element, but it was, it became very obvious that nothing here uh, was done for aesthetics. Everything had a functional purpose. And, you know, even in our spacecraft, everything has pretty much a functional purpose. There are no house plants or anything just to look at there. But these archways were extruded from the base wall and 
For the most part, it seemed they were all the same. But in fact, they were not. One of them, and just putting this here, so they looked like this all the way around. One of them was different. And the one time I was in there, there were other people also working on there in their own particular group. They activated this by some means. And we could see from inside, we could see right through that. I guess the modern day analogy would be a electrochromatic glass where it's normally opaque, some energy is applied to it and it becomes transparent. And whatever the other group was doing, this panel here underneath this archway became transparent and we can see the, the hanger outside. They also did something else and we can see something, the only thing I can relate it to is some sort of writing, some kind of symbols like that. I'm assuming that's some sort of written written language. I, I really don't know. That's, that's a guess on my part. But there were symbols that were displayed here and then it went back to looking outside. So somebody had a handle on how to control what was going on without any wires or switches. So that was kind of good to see somebody was making some progress somewhere. Again, we weren't even permitted information about that and I was fortunate enough just to see it. So um, now is it possible these other archways uh, did something too? Uh, it could be. I didn't see it, but I know this one, this particular one did. This is an alien spacecraft. Right, right, obviously. Another entity had to make this. Right. Reality simply isn't what it used to be. Things are not what they seem. Everything around us is a mental construct. We create our own reality. Breaking that down is hard to do. And once it's done, there ain't no coming back. All right, so so that's Bob talking about what it, what, how this machine worked. And even his greatest skeptics were like, well, look, I don't know if he's telling the truth, but that shit is genius. Like how that would work. Do you remember, George? Uh, I remember you didn't know what reverse engineering was when, when he first told you that term. Do you remember what was that was like for you the first time you heard Balbazar describe the propulsion system of the, of the flying saucers? It was way over my head. I, and I knew it was over my head. I had a lot of homework to do just to, so I could figure out the terminology he was using. I think in that first interview we did, which was never supposed to be broadcast, it was just safety in case something happened to him. I asked him about, I think, what did you call it, uh, Bob? Reverse archaeology? And he's no, it's reverse engineering. And then described the process to me. And, you know, that was my uh, baptism to the UFO topic. I, I kind of jumped into the, the deep end of the pool on that starting with crashed saucers, reverse engineering, which, you know, the rest of the world is now catching on to. That was my starting point. And from there, I decided I needed to learn about a broader perspective about ufology. And I'm still learning that 30, almost 35 years later. But um, I, I knew it was way over my head. Um, you know, different people over the years, physicists, engineers have looked at it. There's a difference of opinion among them. 
Some say that makes a lot of sense. Others say it's total BS. We have come to know that just mentioning Bob's name in any context at all sets off triggers with some people. I understand it. Uh, you know, it used to mean something, and I would try to answer questions and explain it. I don't care anymore. I don't care if people believe Bob or not. Um, we did this three-part series on KLAS that we can talk about in a minute. It's about sort of the history of crash retrieval stories. And I'm not endorsing any particular case, and not even Roswell. I'm just sort of giving the public, our our viewers in Las Vegas, some context for this topic that had become a front burner issue in Washington because of David Grush and a few others who've come forward with these stories, and it's real. So I tried to explain that for Nevadans, this came up back in 1989 when Bob Lazar came forward. I didn't get into all the science on it, but that was sort of the start for my audience hearing about this stuff and then try to bring them up to date. And here's some of the cases that, that have been investigated over the years. I'm not endorsing them. I'm not embracing them. We, we quoted Jacques Ballet about his investigation of Trinity. Oh my gosh, people went crazy over it. Uh, this has been discredited. It's been debunked. Name me a UFO case that has not been declared debunked by someone. Mention a video or even a photo. Even McMinnville is debunked. I mean, someone somewhere has debunked everything or declared it debunked, but just declaring it debunked doesn't make it so. There is no such thing as the Supreme Court of Ufology that makes decisions like this. This is debunked. Um, it doesn't exist. People will debate it back and forth. All I'm doing is filling in my viewers, and that's my audience, not UFO Twitter, not ufologist, not SCU. It's the people who live in Las Vegas. Same with weaponized. Our audience, we hope, is broader than just people who are interested in the UFO subject. And, and we are reporting to them and to the general public not to ufologists. They're not our bosses. We're not on team ufology. We're doing our jobs. So I know that Bob Lazar sets off triggers for people. I understand that. People are divided into two camps about him. Some, I guess, maybe are in the middle and haven't made up their minds. Um, but, you know, whenever you mention his name, it's like uh, suddenly you've, you've, uh, you've stuck uh, an electric prod in a, in a sensitive part of their body. Look, man, um, he made an appearance in the in the three part Tubi special that you and I were in, and I think people should watch that. You know, he had some possible fighting words, and I like that. Man, I just wish, like, when we started Weaponized, I always thought if anybody's going to interview Bob Lazar again, because he hasn't gone on a long form interview uh, or anything since um, Joe Rogan back in uh, 2018, when he reluctantly came with me on the Rogan podcast. And like, man, I just like, I got this good feeling, this really good feeling that we're going to hear more from Bob Lazar this year. Maybe. What do you got cooking? What, what are you talking about? Uh, look, man, I can't <laughs> confirm nor deny nothing. Not until we know for sure. But I'm feeling like this. I'm feeling like there's more to learn and understand from Bob beyond just like learning who he is, which I feel like my movie did. Like you get a sense of like who he is, but just his words to me at the end of that to be special UFO revolution, that one, people should watch it. It's really good. It's free. I'll put links in the description, but like, I'm proud of that one, but he said some things and it was just like, I just got this glimmer. I saw this glimmer in his eye as a friend, you know, we see that sometimes and I'm like, what's this guy going to do? 
And I think we might find out soon. Well, um, I'm there with you. Whatever you got in mind, that'll be fun. How many episodes of Weaponize are we going to do then? 75, 80? What do you got in mind? I don't know, man. We just got to keep moving till we know that we've completed season one. This is not the final episode of Weaponized. So there's definitely going to be 50 or more for season I'd just like to say to our listeners and viewers, keep an eye on the big picture. Um, you know, we don't want to be getting into wars with people on Twitter or back and forth with SCU or any of that stuff. I don't want to do that anymore. But you should keep an eye on some of these things that are going on for because it's not isolated. There is a pattern that is unfolding here. There is pushback that is real and it's unfolding and it's getting pretty nasty and it's probably going to get nastier. But watch it. You, you can watch it unfold in real time and, uh, and keep your eyes open and your ears open and your mind open. And uh, want to say before we go, happy birthday to our mutual friend, the great Robbie Williams. Yeah. And happy birthday to my colleague and partner and friend, Jeremy Corbell. Thanks, George. Can't wait to episode 50. Never have so few had so much to tell, but could say so little. Following this into Weaponized, a presentation of Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, Dark Horse Entertainment, and Cadence 13 Studios. Available now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your shows.